Welcome to the Valaran Perspective. We explore working, leading, and finding value in an uncertain world. Welcome. I'm Aaron Smith. I'm Ben Carsage. And I'm Chris Vaughn. Thanks for listening. Let's do this. So uh, welcome back to the Valaran podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to be covering a topic that's near and dear to probably anybody's heart who's ever worked in a corporate space uh, or worked for any company, honestly, where there's probably more than five people, which is meetings and meeting culture and what uh, Ben and I often refer to as the meeting death spiral, uh, how meetings often beget more meetings and all of the messed up things we do that lead us to just absolutely have to keep having more meetings. So let's get into that. Yeah. All right. Um, let me see. We had a couple of stories. And Aaron, I really liked uh, the one when you were talking about being in a, a high-level senior leadership meeting. Um, and yeah, I want, I want to start there. Yeah, this this is, uh, this is one of those kind of stories that just sticks out in my head. Um, I think not least of all because it kind of strikes on a couple of areas of strong kind of principled stance I have when it comes to the way to do things right, quote unquote, when it comes to working, but also because I think the human side of meeting culture and and why we tend to interact in certain ways around meetings uh, really stuck out to me in this moment. The story is Uh, As Ben mentioned earlier, I was in a senior leadership meeting monthly um, and we would it was it was a it was a meeting of probably I would say on average 15 to 25 people uh, and none of the people in that room were uh, junior leaders. They were all uh, more senior leaders. So so the cost of this meeting was material. And uh, it was anywhere ranging from kind of three to five hours, um, depending on, you know, what the agenda was and, and how much material everyone brought to the table. And the idea was I'm that just, I'm just watching Chris just right now, just shake his head at the idea of like a three to four, five, five hour meeting. hours like, yeah, of the hour. It's hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's and this is again this is a large group of people and what would we would do is each group we were there were representatives from all of the different kind of divisions underneath this group uh at at uh at the company and each sort of leadership team of you know two or three people would basically present present a presentation that would cover everything that had happened within their group of anywhere from 50 to 100 people for the last like month or the last six weeks or whatever. And, uh, and, and these, these presentations were incredibly rich in some cases, incredibly detailed with, you know, slide after slide of statistics and data and, uh, like velocity information about teams and, um, you know, HR stuff and performance information and just like everything kind of under the sun to give you this global view of how's our group doing. And, I, I started to realize that people were oftentimes disengaging during these meetings. It was not uncommon for people to be texting each other like kind of cynical comments um, <laughs> while, while the meeting was happening. Uh, there was a very strict agenda where it didn't it didn't really it felt like we were kind of going with the through the motions more so than like really had a specific set of values or principles we were really trying to honor. Um, and. So and and we would even take action items and and make and sort of 
come to realizations in those meetings, but they wouldn't result in material decisions that would actually impact the organization. So at one point, I, uh, when we would have our like at the end discussion point, I, I stood up and I said, hey, I have, I have a couple questions. The first question is, is it desirable that we make decisions in this meeting as a group of senior leaders that has an impact throughout the organization. So, so in other words, when we show up to this meeting, is it, is it something we want that we make decisions that matter for the organization? And if this in, uh, and the second thing is, um, are, are we doing that? Like, are we actually making decisions here? Uh, and then, and then sort of the, the, the bonus tack on question is if not, what's the purpose of, of this meeting and what always keeps this story fresh in my mind wasn't that the meeting was happening this way because it happens all the time it wasn't that i asked that question because i've seen many people ask questions like that it was the reaction i got from the group and it was split into two groups two types of reactions one reaction was basically like oh aaron this is the kind of thing we say to each other and mumble under our breath after we leave or like when we have lunch together next week we bitch about this meeting but we don't you don't call this out in person right like you don't like all you're doing is making a bad situation worse like it's bad enough we have to show up here and now we all have to like have this awkward conversation and the other reaction from the other group was kind of almost this like why, like, why are you giving us a hard time kind of thing? Like we, we need to know what's going on. We have to exchange this information. This is something we just have to do. Why can't you just accept that this is something we just have to do? So it was a very emotional reaction I got from both sides, which I thought was interesting. Um, but to me, what was, what I found fascinating was the reaction wasn't one of logic. It wasn't one of like, what's important? Like, how do we best serve the team? Like, what are the goals? The reaction on both, in both cases was very much like, I just am doing the thing that I feel like I have to do. And just, can you just not give me a hard time and just let me get it done and, and move forward, move on with my life. And I think that that really, to me speaks to a lot of the reason why humans behave this way when it comes to meeting culture is there's this, there's, we create these obligatory frameworks where everyone's supposed to show up. Like we don't even question that we're supposed to show up anymore. We just go and we don't even necessarily, we're so disconnected from any kind of result or outcome in many cases that, uh, again, it really is just checking boxes. And uh, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. No, I, I, I mean, we've talked about this example a couple of times. And I, even what you were saying at the end, it, it hits home to me, this idea. Um, and I think we articulated this best yesterday. We become obsessed with the execution and the success of the process uh, and meetings as a part of that. Like, are we doing, are we doing the meetings and are the meetings, do they have the right people? And do we go through the agenda items and all that stuff? And if we do, we feel good at some level, even though maybe nothing actually valuable happened. Like maybe no decision was ever intended to be made. And it's just, we're just doing it because we know to do it. But we get some little satisfaction of like, we executed the process. We did it, everybody. And uh, we we actually move away from, hey, what, what's the point of this? What's the value of us sitting in this room right now? Um, what's the... You know, if I I have that frame around process that says it's it's intended to, for two things primarily, uh, alignment and relationship building. 
And meetings are phenomenal or can be phenomenal at both. But if they're not aligning you around something that matters or they're not building relationships in a way that's meaningful uh, to the future success of the organization or the individuals there, what are you doing? And uh, that that question just doesn't get asked in a world where the meeting has become so rote. And and I, I think the type of meeting you're talking about, especially like the the staff meeting that occurs sort of getting larger and longer and potentially less frequent as you sort of travel up an organization. So teams are doing it daily and then like teams of teams are doing it weekly and then larger groups are doing it monthly and then the organization does it quarterly. And every time it's like add another two hours or something like that. Like these meetings are things we just, there's part of our brain that tells us we, we have to do that, right? We have to do that. Like there's no, there's, there's nothing else. It's, it's, it's critical for us because to what you were saying, we have to know what's going on, even if we don't know why that matters. Um, and, and I, I was, as I was writing down some of the notes for this today, I was like, what are at the roots of this? And they're the same things that I think will impact a lot of what we talk about. Um, how are we handling uncertainty? How are human beings handling uncertainty, either good or bad? Um, and what are the incentives we've created inside of the organization? Um, because if you incentivize everybody to show up to the meeting or they get in trouble, they're all going to show up to the meeting. Uh, and if, if you think you will feel better just by knowing somebody told you what was going on so that you can report to the higher level above you, what is going on below you organizationally, well, that's what you're going to do. And you're going to actually probably feel good about it, even though it was meaningless. I was on a team that uh, we were required to have three meetings a week, our team. And not beyond the daily stand-up. We had to have three staff meetings for our particular team per week. And our team was roughly 20 people or so. And Mm -hmm. it was just required that we had three meetings a week. So the first couple of meetings, maybe the first, I don't know, the first maybe five or six were okay. It was dissemination of information. We were going through a giant reorg and everything was fine. After that... We ran out or the 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 people in charge ran out of stuff to say and ran out of things to give us. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because I noticed very, uh, you can always tell when people come shuffling into a meeting, you can almost tell what the meeting is going to be like just by the, the body language of the people that shuffle in. And it got to the point where instead of going to these three meetings an hour long, you know, each per week. Uh, people would come shuffling in, just looking disheveled and annoyed. Like, why did you pull me off my task? Why did you pull? I now. Why did? You, why did we lose productivity for this? And I'm not joking you. The meetings would sometimes be less than five minutes. They'd sit down and go, "Well, we don't have much for you. You know, we've got uh, this item, this item, and this thing. Okay, you guys, any questions? Nope. All right, get back to it. Thank you. And like, why? Okay, why would you pull? You know, half the org off of <laughs> off of productivity for a five minute, like two sentence stupid meeting. You know what I mean? And, and it got to the point where the body language and uh, the the tone of voice from questions being asked, I mean, everything was just, it was more like an oppressive feeling of being beat down as opposed to mm-hmm. here's a productive meeting. Oh, hey, we've, we haven't met in a month. What's new? What can we, what can we discuss? So I ultimately went to the director of the org and asked him, why are we meeting three times a week? This seems like a waste of time. I actually said it like that. And not wanting to be fired on the spot, I didn't argue with him uh, too much about it. He just said, I want my teams to be well informed. Well, okay, I'm going to, now that I'm no longer with that company, mm-hmm. I will respectfully disagree and say this wasn't about information. It was about 
you know, what, what you said, Ben, someone in middle management being able to report to the people above that the people below know what's going on. And it was a gigantic waste of time. So wholeheartedly concur yeah. with you. Yeah, I, I find myself and I'm curious what your both of your thoughts are on this. And we, we may get a little speculative here, which is fine. But I, I find myself wondering why, you know, that that question comes up for me so often and I don't know if it's the way that I've been trained to think. Um, I think my early riot education particularly kind of ingrained into me like what like a results focus. And I think, you know, and, and, and it's funny, another thing I'm realizing is we're going to talk about reporting, too, uh, uh, over the next you know couple of weeks or, or also touch on it in this cast. And it seems so closely related. Right. The yeah. idea of like. What are the results? What is what's the intended outcome of this thing that you're investing in? And I I remember another this minor story where like it was early on in my career and like a good friend of mine who's a little bit of a maverick uh, when it comes to like being a program manager or a project lead, like he always kind of went his own way. Uh, and I remember he just stopped showing up to this re- quote unquote really important meeting. And we both were on our way down the hall and I was heading to this meeting and my buddy was like, I'm not going. Um, and uh, the another guy, a third party heard him say that and came up. He's like, what? what? You're not going to the meeting? I mean, you have to go. We're all supposed to go. And he was just like, it, I just it's a waste of my time. Like, we don't talk about anything important. We don't make any decisions like I've I'm, I'm obligated to my team to spend my time in, in a better way for them than to sit in this two hour meeting that I know isn't valuable. Like I can't in good conscience do that. And and the other guy was just flustered. He was just like, but but I don't understand, but you just, <laughs> but but we're all supposed to be there. And like and he didn't really have an actual argument. Like and I, what I found so fascinating about that is like there's something there. Like what is that emotional mm-hmm. pull of just like the pack is saying we need to all do this, that we all, we need to all be physically present with our bodies at this moment. And it, and we're so divorced from any idea of like, like even if you pulled that group, 70% of them would say the meeting was useless, but they all feel so compelled to go. Like, what is that? I, 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 there, I just, yeah. I'm de- I desperately want to understand what that is. Cause that happens at every company I've ever seen. I mean, I, when, when I hear that, I, I, again, I think of, well, what's my job, right? Well, my job is I'm, uh, I'm a leader. Um, and so what do leaders do? And well, leaders, leaders, you know, they lead, they, they, and again, I have very specific definitions, but just broadly, people might think like, I don't know, I'm in charge. I make decisions. I, um, I make sure we're not going to do the wrong thing. And one of the ways I do that is by staying informed about what's going on. And so that could be one motivation. Another one I think is relates to that process adherence piece. And why do we do that? Why do we adhere to the process? Because it's comfortable. What do I know I'm going to do on three o'clock on Thursday? Well, we're going to have the staff meeting. Do I enjoy it? Do I get anything out of it? No. Uh, do I know really why it's there? No. When was the last time it was useful? Months ago. Have I given feedback about how it's not useful? No. Why do I show up? Well, because that's what I do on Thursday at three o'clock. And I actually, I, I'm going to give you guys a reverse example. But, um, like for me, when I first got to Riot, I remember being part of the the champion team. 
And so they made content inside of the game. Uh, they made some of the characters in the game. Um, and I remember I was, I was like, it was a big deal to me that I was a leader of such a big team. And I was, you know, there was the other leaders around. But I would walk around the halls sometimes in that, in that old building we had at Colorado Center. Um, and I would look into rooms and I would see the other leaders of the champion team. And I'd be like, wait a minute, why am I not in that room? I'm a leader of the champion team. What are they talking about? <laughs> and and I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. It's where my head was at. And I was like, hang on. And I, and I would get a little bit insecure because I'm not in the meeting. Like what, they're talking about things. I don't know what they're talking about. You know, and there's, there's a guy named Paul, a great guy. Like, Paul, why? I wonder, is he, I mean, are they going to make decisions without consulting me? Like, what's going on? And I would have all these thoughts and then I'd be like, it's okay. Okay, maybe you can ask him later. And, and then I was like, how do you do that in a way that's not either passive aggressive or entirely insecure? It was entirely insecure. <laughs> I wanted to be in every single meeting. And I, it was years, I think it was probably not for another year and a half or two years before I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not in all the meetings. And I was just like constantly trying to figure out how I get out of them. But I think that's also part of it. Um, in that same way that sometimes leaders like to be the linchpin, the key fulcrum of any like project they're on or team they're a part of, it's because it makes them feel important. We want to be in those meetings because who's in those meetings? Well, the important people are in those meetings, of course. They're talking about the big picture. And I want to be, I don't want to just be in that meeting because I want to know anything that's going on because actually I know that that's not useful. I want to be in that meeting so that people know I'm in that meeting and I'm a big deal. And you know, and, and Ben, the, there's something, there's something that you really tapped on something like there, which is interesting, which is I want to be a part. Like there, there is, a, mm -hmm. it's the one thing that popped up in my head as we kind of unpack this was like this sense of belonging. There's almost like this tribalism to it where like, where like we all meet around the campfire at 8 PM every night to review the day. And like, you can't not be there. Cause you, I mean, if you're not there, you're not part of the tribe. Right. Um, and it's like, mm -hmm. I, I, another thing I, I, on the flip side of this too, as you're telling the story, I'm kind of laughing to myself. Cause one of the things I've had is when I schedule a meeting and people don't show up, my reaction is not uh, generally not to be like, oh, I wonder what I wonder if they saw value in this. I, I wonder if they just <laughs> didn't if, if maybe yeah. I need to reformat the meeting. I'm like, why didn't anyone show up to my meeting? I put a lot of effort into scheduling this. I know everyone was available. Like I only got half the people I need now. How am I supposed to get? This stuff, like, so I, I feel like offended. I feel almost like betrayed a little bit when people don't show yep. up to my meetings. So it's, it's and, interesting. And there is something the way, there. Yeah, that's what other people probably know you feel that way because they feel that way when they schedule a meeting. And, and so I wonder if there is also like, it, yeah, we, we've touched on the idea of feeling important, feeling a part of something. This is actually not wanting to be rude. Someone I know booked a meeting. I will show up because I value my relationship with them and I know that it's going to offend them a little bit if I just don't show up. And it, I, I think all of those are reasons why we do this. And again, then there's also just the for meetings that are long running and, and like very, uh, I'll say stable, I guess, uh, maybe stagnant is a better word. Um, it's just I don't want to change. I'm, I'm comfortable with my routine. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's so uh, yeah. when we talk about the death spiral and the and again the idea of the death spiral is that regardless of all these impulses inclinations that we have around meetings that we tend to end up in the same place and I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like you know I 
I hate that feeling when I schedule a meeting and half the people don't show up or half the people I see on Google meetings, half the people have said no. And I'm just like, oh, you know, no one's. And then it's funny because you, you think about in that situation where we have high meeting saturation, the average leader is like spending like 30 minutes every morning or every day or every evening or whenever they have time to just like prune their schedule. I remember it got to a point when I was at Riot where I was like actually spending a significant amount of time every day just pruning my schedule for the week. Yeah. Just like, and and then I had people from like recruiting who had to like work with my schedule a lot or people from HR or whatever come to me and be like, they would reflect back to me my personal m- meeting pruning style in a way that was extremely creepy. Like they would have almost had been stalking me. They're like, oh yeah, you tend to do this on Mondays between like three and five. And I'm just like, <laughs> what, what? and they're like, we don't, we have to, know this. They're like, it's the only way we can get you guys to show up to anything. And I'm, and it's, I just find that fascinating how the culture of the organization and the way people interact can morph and just change over time to accommodate the nightmare of meetings that we have going on and the just incredibly high volume of meetings we have going on. And again, that irony that we all hurt each other's feelings when we don't show up to each other's meetings, but the more meetings we schedule, the more it ensures that that outcome is exactly what happens. You know? <laughs> Right. Well, and you get to the, I mean, I remember, um, and, and this, this varied, but very little, the senior leaders at a company were just booked wall to wall. And what happens when you're booked wall to wall? Well, oftentimes those people would have assistants and I'd go to the assistant. I'd be like, Hey, I have something I need to talk to this leader about. And if, if I believed that it was, I thought, at least, and maybe I was wrong, but I thought it was important. I was like, hey, this is an important enough thing for me to hit like a senior leader at the company with. Um, Can I have half an hour? And they'd be like, okay, um, can you stay until super late? I'm like, no, I'm I'm not. I I don't think that should be part of how I want to live my work-life balance. And uh, they're like, okay, well, um, the next one is like three or four weeks out. And there's this question in my head at that time, which is, do I just okay? Never mind. It's not worth it. Um, which actually, I think a lot of, has happens to a lot of people. Like the 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 information I'm trying to present, I know if I email it, it's going to get lost in the email version of the meeting death spiral. Um, I know if I try to like run into them in the hall, like good luck. They're in back to back meetings all the time, uh, and it's certainly not going to have the time to act, explain what's going on or like go into anything. And all information is to some extent time sensitive or, or a lot of the information was. And so like three or four weeks later, it's just not as useful. It's not as relevant. So, okay, I'll go tackle it myself or it is relevant. And I think it's still going to be important. And then I wait three or four weeks and then I try to remember what it was I booked the meeting about. So I gotta make sure I take a bunch of notes. And by the way, they're going to want to know exactly what the meeting is about, even though they're going to show up into the meeting running five minutes over from their last meeting, having not looked at the notes at all. And then they'd be like, what are we talking about? And I'm going to be like, well, okay, so here's what we're talking about. And and it's it's this thing of like we're we're filling all that time we're filling every little bit um, because yeah like it, these these interaction we we think it's really important to communicate and it is a lot of the time but we don't know how to do that in the absence of a meeting when everybody's calendars are just back to back like and and that's where you end up and it it almost seems like the more senior in an organization you go and I have an idea as to why this is the case um, the the more that is true. Do you find that the same, was it your experience, both of you, was it, was it your experience at Riot that the same mentality would uh, spill over into required trainings? 
for teams. We would have different trainings that would come along. And I know that, you know, in a gaming environment, obviously it's different. You have people that break down into different specialties, but we would have different trainings that would come along that seemed superfluous and counterintuitive and would simply not, we, we would come out of it not having really been trained on anything other than just taking up meeting time. That's all. It's really what it came, you know, and someone would have a slide deck or they would talk about whatever and you know, it was a bunch of IT related stuff and we would all sit there and kind of nerd out for a little while and then come away going, OK, I, you know, if I didn't know that going in, I didn't know it coming out or it's it's the, the, whatever they tried to teach us was not relevant to our uh, our day to day work or our org at all, like, even remotely. And so this uh, this this kind of death spiral of meetings goes from, uh, you know, the what you're talking about, Ben, and what you're talking about, Aaron, also in my experience has spilled over into trainings as well. And I don't know if yeah. you guys have relevant experience there. Yeah, I think uh, def definitely. Uh, but although I think the way that you're talking about the spillover riot due to some very uh, smart and talented people and a, a strong principled stance on training and what good training was uh, avoided some of that. So uh, and particularly what I mean by some of that is that the training itself tended to be very high quality at Riot, like probably way higher quality than almost any other organization you could find. Um, the the thing is, though, is back to your point about the, the effects of the spiral. Um, and, and Ben and I were on both sides of this many times as trainers as well, because that's a huge thing that we do. Uh, the cynicism that was built up within the organization around ha having to take training or the value of training was very high because there was such a commodity placed on time to work uh, because the company had burnt so much goodwill, I think in general, and, and most companies do really, truly, uh, because of all the meetings that people would like Ben and I, you know, we've we, we do a, you know, reframing agility two day training, which is, um, I think, like one of the highest quality um, you know, agility trainings out there. Um, and Riot also did something very similar as well. And it's like, I really do believe this, that one would be so lucky to get to go through that training. Like that's how high quality it is. But the most common question Ben and I are asked when engaging with students that are about to come into a class is, hey, is there any way we can make this shorter? Sometimes their leaders will sit down with us ahead of time and be like, hey, what can we cut out of this? Is there any way we can make this shorter? And we're like, hey, we've given this training dozens of times and we understand the material incredibly deeply. Trust me, if there was anything to cut out, we, we cut it out. Like, and, and from our perspective, we're like, hey, it, it's not that big of a deal to sit in a class for two days to learn some really, really high quality, meaningful stuff. But again, I have to put myself in their shoes. They don't see it that way because from their perspective, A, they already get so little time to focus that they have to. They, they, they're really doing a good job by themselves to uh, taking that obligation, taking that responsibility to be very judicious with their time. Um, but I don't think what we realized at Riot, just how sort of cynical and paranoid, frankly, we became about that kind of stuff. And again, due to how much goodwill we had already burnt with a lot of other stuff that didn't probably need to be happening. Um, so like it, ironically, Riot had a lot of really, really good trainings that um, not a lot of people would go through because <laughs> they didn't have time. They, they, they or, or that was the, the world we had built was a world where nobody had time. You know, there, there's, Chris, when you were talking in air with what you just said, spot on. And there's something that like kicked into my mind, which is 
even though we would go and spend a half hour here, an hour there, two hours here, another half hour there, and suddenly your day's gone in a sequence of short meetings that we didn't find particularly valuable some most of the time or often. Um, and again, I'm not, I think you said it as well. This isn't like a riot problem. This is a human and organization problem. Um, when training would come up, and I agree with you, Riot had some of the best, like I was going to say 70, 80% of the training that Riot gave was phenomenal. Occasionally there were some duds, but like overall, the quality of the training you could get there was amazing. But you know where it was focused? Long-term. It was all long-term. It wasn't about like, let's talk about what's going on right now and the work I'm doing immediately. And there was some thing that would happen where we'd have classes of like, okay, we've got 24 people signed up to take this course, this two-day course. And 24 hours in advance, over half would just suddenly drop out. Sorry, this thing popped up. This other thing popped up. Oh, I've got like, I got to go to this other meeting and there's this critical, you know, product decision we're going to have to make tomorrow. And all these things would come up. And these trainings would be on their calendars for like months. Like they knew this was coming. Um, but it was this in the moment, what do I actually focus on? And it's, I, I, it was so easy for everybody to, to switch to like, well, what's, what's right in front of me? What's the short-term focus? And the long-term, they're like, hey, who do you want to, do you want to be developing as a person and becoming better as a person? Because training is a piece of that, um, was just so easily like dropped out the back. And it reminds me of, um, uh, something I've said about myself, which is if I go on YouTube and I start watching videos, um, you know, I'm just like, I'm kind of, maybe I'm a little bit fried or whatever. I'm just like, hey, let me just waste some time, like clicking through videos on YouTube. I will rarely click on a video longer than like 10 minutes and 10 minutes can be pushing it when I'm in that state. Um, you know, and, but I'll watch like 15, three minute videos or I'll, I'll sit there and I'll be watching three to five minute videos for hours sometimes. And they're completely meaningless in, in some sense. But I, it's almost like, even though I would have spent the same two hours watching one really long video on YouTube that might actually have been really informative about a topic, I'll take it in like the two minute, the three minute hits over and over with a little bit of like just humorous, now let me watch an honest reviews, now let me jump over here and do this other thing. And I'm not saying it's wrong to watch those other videos, but it's fascinating that we can't engage with the length of something, even though we'll spend that much time watching. And I feel like meetings were like that. The trainings that was a, a, a two-day training was something, how can I possibly justify this with all the work? But we would easily waste half hours and hours all day long for a week um, with, with much less long-term benefit or maybe not even much short-term benefit in the interest of like, well, I can justify half an hour. I can justify half an hour. Why is it okay to justify half an hour when it's not actually valuable? Yeah. And again, it comes back to like, what are all those reasons that we were talking about? Well, so I think you, what, one, let me jump oh, yeah. in real quick, Aaron. Uh, you've hit upon, I think that expands beyond corporate culture into just American culture. We generally have the attention span of a gnat today, you know? Oh, yeah. Everything is, yeah. everything is bite-sized chunks. It's sound bites. It's really quick. So everything is, is designed to get us in and get us out quickly, quickly, quickly. So, since that's how we all run our individual lives, including, you know, the, the Ben, we've all done, we've all gone down the YouTube spiral just or the Facebook spiral mm -hmm. or the insert spiral here. We've all done that. 
And so, and that means everyone in our that we work with in our corporations, they all do the same thing outside of work. That's just yep. how we consume media. That's how we consume our lives these days. So why then is there is there this expectation that since that's how we take our information in that that we are now expected to go and sit in like what Aaron said a five hour long meeting. How are we supposed to keep our attention focused for five hours or, or two hours or even a good solid hour unless unless the information being presented is being done in a way that is you know super compelling or really interesting or super need to know and there's a sense of urgency about it or something. If it's just another day-to-day kind of whatever and you've got this two-hour block of time where you're expected to pay attention and that that's completely counter to how we intake our information today, right? Yeah. I mean, how many times have we been sitting at our desks at whatever corporation we're in, and while we're being, uh, you know, sitting there getting our work done, and while we're being productive, we'll pick up our phone, open it for a second, respond to a quick text, check Facebook or whatever for one second, check Instagram, whatever, like two seconds of information, then throw your phone back down. And you didn't spend, you know, an hour spiraling, but you spent 30 seconds, a minute, maybe two minutes doing something really quick, then you're back into it and you're continuing your productivity. That's how we function today in society. And it seems counter. As I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm realizing how we we do our meetings, not the excellent trainings you two do, of course, but how we do our meetings <laughs> is uh, is very different than how we live our lives. And I don't know if there's any, do you guys have anything to say about that? Or does it, have you found similar observations? Yeah, there, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot there and I, and it's interesting that so much, so much of that, I think this question of how does the way that we communicate and the way we consume information in a broad context, uh, impact how we do so within a workplace, I think is a really interesting question. And it's, it's almost like an entire topic in and of itself. Um, and it's, you know, one of the things I can think of is like it, it does that is a good example of something that makes um, for for younger folks, I think, like the idea of sitting in a training a much harder prospect. Um, and I also I would make the argument that I also think it limits our ability to really uh, reach the point where we can gain a deep understanding of things. Because our attention, sp- we're, we're so shallow. Um, and I mean, again, I, I almost don't want to go too far off uh, uh, on this tangent because I think it it's a whole separate thing. But yeah, I think our we, we're so cursory with the way that we look at things now. And I, don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I actually think it's just, it's almost necessitated. Like humans have access to so much more information now than I ever, they ever have um, in the past. And so I think you almost have to be more cursory. You have to be um, have less depth and more breadth. Um, you know, it's one thing that popped up for me and I'm curious what you guys think about this is like, uh, there's a, there's like a kind of a dotted line or hard connection that popped up in my head, which is if I'm like working with Chris and, uh, he's in meetings all the time and I need to talk to him, I'm asking myself, okay, well, why do I need to talk to Chris? And I'm like, what, like I've been in this situation a million times in the office. Like, what is that actually? It's usually because I need to get some work done or something and I need to make some kind of a decision. And I feel like I need some information or some guidance or some opinion from Chris to be able to make that decision. 
And I've found myself a million times in a situation where I'm literally like camping Chris's desk because he's in meetings all day long. And I just like Mm -hmm. keep coming back like every 15 minutes. Maybe he's there. Maybe he's there. Oh, well, it's not really on the hour. So I'll try to catch him between meetings. And then I come back. But then he actually went to the bathroom between those two meetings and he never came back to his desk. And I'll spend the entire day blocked on that decision or perceiving that I'm blocked on that decision to the point where I'm like, I either can't get my thing done or I have to try setting up a meeting with Chris and deprioritize that thing until I can talk to him. But but the, the point I'm trying to make is that the intention, the need, the original need was around making a decision, was about unblocking mm-hmm. something tangible. And I find it fascinating that more often than not, meetings are the solution to that problem. Like when we, we perceive, like the reason we set up meetings initially is to, to get people in the same room, That's which is hard because everybody's kind of scattered around like ants doing their own things so that they can make decisions. But then once we get in the meeting, we don't make any decisions at all. Like we, we consume limitless information and we do nothing with it. And I, I think that that is so fascinating there's something that changes by the time we get in the meeting. And the thing that came up is like, we, there's so much, uh, there's a new culture emerging in technology. And I think in some of the more forward thinking industries right now around facilitation and meeting design and how, like actually having people who are experts in like running meetings, because the efficiency that those people can extract from those scenarios is will pay their paycheck. Right. Um, but like, to me, it's pivoting those meetings back to like, what are the outcomes that we want? What decisions mm-hmm. are we going to actually make? Because if we can, if we can unlock the organization during this time, then we might actually pay back this time and we'll probably actually need less of it over time. Cause the more we unlock the organization, the less meetings we're going to need, but the more meetings we have where we don't make decisions, the more the organization is going to get locked up, which will necessitate more meetings. Um, and so I, I think that there's something there because I think part of this conversation we're having is going to uh, segue at some point into like, well, what can we do about this? Like, what what, what are the right. possible solutions? <laughs> right. And I think that to me, the most prominent one that pops up in my head now is really t- having leadership present in meetings that focuses the group on a specific set of outcomes and just constantly just uh, like almost sheepdogs people back into like, remember, we're here to make this decision. Remember, we're here to focus on these outcomes. Yeah, great, Jeff, we love to hear what you have to say on this subject. It's really cool. We all like you're, it's, you're a really smart guy, but that doesn't have anything to do with making this decision. So we're going to cut that off for now. And like just that real kind of tight facilitation, you see that so very little in meetings. Like I, what I usually see is a round table, people just kind of yapping at each other for two hours or somebody with a clicker in front of the room clicking through slides that, you know, no, no one really understands or, uh, and I, I just, uh, that, that's something that came up. So the transition from, again, just purely dumping information and discussing things to no, uh, to no end point versus like actually focusing on a specific set of outcomes, making a decision, which is what you want right. to do when you're in the pit or you're in the in in the in your cubicle and you just need to talk to somebody real quick you're really just trying to make a decision that that is yeah informal and informal and via whatever mechanism like sometimes you can find an answer on a com- communication program like slack or whatever you know you can you can hit someone up and say hey i just need to know this thing and that 
that frees you up. But sometimes that's not sufficient or they don't respond to Slack or you can't get them in that way. And I, it's funny when I do uh, coaching sessions, uh, I don't do this 100% of the time, but I feel like when I do it, I tend to have better outcomes. Uh, what's the topic and what's the agenda? And they're different things. Um, one is like, what are we going to talk about today? And the other is, where do we want to end up? Um, and that's a different version of an agenda as opposed to like, it is the, the set of processes we are going to yeah. walk through in this meeting. You know, it's like, where, what's the end point? What do we want to know at the end? And what's fascinating to me is when you were talking about that, I was thinking, man, imagine if you walked into a meeting and that was really clear and someone in the first three minutes said, hey, there's a key part of information that I'm not going to know till tomorrow for us to reach that conclusion. So there's no point in having this meeting right now. We don't know what the agenda is. We don't know what that outcome is. We don't know what decision we're trying to facilitate um, or what risk we're trying to share or whatever it might be. Um, and, and so we go in and like you said, we just start talking. Um, and we talk because we're this group of people and we have a topic, maybe, maybe the meeting is titled something. And so we talk about that thing and then we meander around and we walk out. You know, one of the things I wrote in, um, just a note that I, I have about meetings is this isn't hundred percent true, but I think it's a generally true. Um, meetings will fill the entire time allotted regardless of when their outcome is achieved. You can achieve the outcome five minutes in and people will be like, well, since we're all here, I mean, we, and no one says this, although I've actually heard it said, but no, most of the time people don't say it, but there's just this, like, I guess we'll keep talking. I guess we'll keep talking about stuff that's relevant to us. Um, and I remember being in a meeting when I was doing a big, um, a a video game map project. Um, and I'd actually had been very specific. I needed to bring a, a group of artists together and there was like a place we needed to go and that particular value we were trying to achieve. And there was a time frame around it. And I was like, okay, that's what we're going to do. This is what's important. We got into the meeting and everybody started talking about something else and I was facilitating it. And I was like, okay, well, what, like, how do I respond to this? Right. I want to stay flexible because I think that's important as a facilitator. Maybe there's something more important. And so I sort of like let it run and we got to the end of the time box. And I remember people walking out and being like, yeah, that was good. This was good. We, we talked, this was valuable. This was valuable stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, this was valuable. And I remember I got back to my desk and I realized we, we weren't prepared to talk about what we just talked about. The thing we had to talk about that was time sensitive. We didn't talk about like the decision to your point, Aaron, that we needed to make, we did not make. And this meeting was incredibly difficult to book based on the number of people and the business of their schedules. I'm now going to have to try to rebook that and blow over everybody's calendar in a very short period of time to have the conversation we should have just had because I, as the person running the meeting, did not keep us on topic and on agenda. Um, and so, you know, that's what, I, that's what I did, but it just, it stuck in my mind that if I take, and I always said this about Riot, if I take six or seven people, rioters, um, rioter, like rioters are very high quality people. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're great people. Um, and I put them in a room and say, just talk about work. I can almost guarantee they're going to have a valuable conversation. The question is not, can you get value out of a group of people talking? Because the answer to that is probably yes. What's the opportunity cost of doing that? Um, and are they actually moving towards any particular value or are we just meandering about, right? Drop me in a room with a bunch of recruiters and have me talk about recruiting and they'll get a weird outside perspective on recruiting from, from Ben, um, and it might be really useful to them in some strange ways on the side, but that doesn't mean that that's worth my time doing. 
Um, I can add value in almost any context, I think, just by bystanding sometimes, just by like observing what's happening and reflecting that to the group. People will, like sometimes are really shocked uh, when someone does that, like, oh, that's a really good observation. It's like, oh, I added value and we feel good. Was it, what, what's the opportunity cost of me being in that room? Um, and again, the, oppor- the and, opportunity cost becomes immense once we start to get stacked up with those things. And that's what's so scary yeah. about it is we, you know, it's funny, you're talking about the agenda too, which I think is a, a really great point. And I think it would be worth for anyone who's listening to this, asking yourself before you go into a meeting, what, or if you're running a meeting, what is the agenda? And, and, I, and one of the things that strikes me is it's oftentimes difficult to know what the agenda is, even if you think you know, going into it, you're still often just making a decision or uh, sorry, making an assumption. And one of the things that, you know, they teach in facilitation when it comes to meeting design, like being deliberate and designing the meeting up front is actually finding out who the key stakeholders or finding out who the key customers of that meeting are and sitting down with them and being like, what do you actually want out of this? Because I've actually done that several times. And I've found that, for example, just random things like uh, leader A and leader B, who are key stakeholders of this meeting, actually really don't like each other. And this meeting is just a way for them to get 15 people in a room so they can duke it out and they can both sort of like argue their case. Um, But really, that meeting is not going to solve the real problem from their perspective, which is that they can't actually talk to each other. They can't actually like mediate their conflict or work through their issue. Um, And again, they may not even realize that they're doing that, but it's not until I sit down with them and say, hey, what do you want out of this in a one-on-one scenario where they're not 15 other people in the room that they're able to really be like, well, you know, actually, I don't really care that much about that topic. In parentheses, that was the uh, topic for the entire meeting. Um, (laughs) What I really care about is why can't we do blah? Or why are we always having issues with blah? And it's like, okay. Now I've had that happen. I've had people send me in and say, Aaron, you're a very good facilitator. Go facilitate this meeting. And then Mm -hmm. when I interview the customers, I'm like, this meeting doesn't need to exist. This meeting is yep. a total waste of time. Uh, and people are like shocked when I say that. They're like, but but we have to have the meeting. And I'm like, no, that's actually not the problem. I talk to everyone. These are the other problems. And by the way, a meeting is not going to solve any of those. Here's what we actually <laughs> need to do. Um, right. And it, it, it really is, I think, about outcome focus and results focus and making decisions. And uh and when you when you start to architect meetings around that, when you get 15 people in a room and you know why you're there, you're there and you've been able to clearly articulate that to everyone that's there and the outcome and, or the agenda are clear. And even if you get crazy and build exercises and fun activities to achieve that, it's a whole different experience. Like people, you can yeah. actually, I've been in meetings where I found the experience profound and fulfilling. And I don't think that most people would describe the average meeting that way. And it's a total shame. So it's, it's a damn shame. Honestly, yeah. There's there's something too where if you if you invite 15 people to a meeting to come back to something you said earlier, and if you realize that up front, because like, hey, the outcome is this. You know what? I'm not relevant to that outcome. I'm not gaining anything by being a part of that conversation. I'm okay with, and that could be because I'm okay with whatever decision you make. Just let me know. Um, or it could be because actually that just doesn't have any tangible impact on the work that I do, um, and I'm not. I'm not worried about feeling unimportant because I'm not in the meeting. So I'm just going to not be there. Um, And I've done that in very immature ways where I just don't show up. And I've done that in like more deliberate ways where I've said like, hey, here's the meeting. Here's why I don't think I'm important to it. 
Um, and so I'm not going to be there. Or here's the problems I have with this meeting that I think me- make it not valuable. Um, and I'm not going to be there. And the cool thing is the fewer people you have in a room, the easier it can be to actually get to whatever your outcome may be. Again, assuming you're, it's not just about blasting information out, which I always want us to be questioning. Um, because, you know, as you were saying earlier, there's a there's this drive inside of organizations to know things because at some level, often knowledge becomes power. But oftentimes that knowledge isn't particularly helpful uh, to anyone. So, yeah, there was something I wrote down, which is asking yourself the question, what value am I going to add to this outcome or what value am I going to receive from knowing this outcome in this meeting? And if the answer to both those is, well, there's not really, um, there's not, there's not really any value, then yeah, don't, don't go. Um, and of course that then comes back to how do the organizations make it okay for someone to not show up? How do leaders make the, the incentives there so that when someone says, I'm going to vote with my feet and just not show up to this, um, that we go, that's totally okay. They prioritize something else and we respect their ability to do that. Um, and if I disagree, I can go talk to that person. Um, and it's the ironic thing is that if you're in a culture where no one's doing that, you can't go talk to them one, because they'll be in the meeting and two, because they're always in meetings. So you can't ever get time. Well, the, I, uh, I was frequently the person that would not, want to go to a meeting. And I was constantly, I was the one, hey, Chris, come on, let's go. The meeting's happening. Hey, Chris, come on, stop what you're doing. I was constantly getting pulled out of my desk to go to a meeting and I never wanted to go. And uh, getting back to what you said, Ben, to your point, um, there was no culture in my company of of it being okay to skip a meeting. I would frequently want to choose to stay productive and get my work done for our client, which was the money maker. It's why we were all there, but I was constantly being pulled out of my my productivity to go to these pointless meetings, right? And it wasn't okay. I I was ultimately threatened with with being written up in disciplinary action because I would skip meetings. And so what's mm-hmm. what's my incentive to go? It's not to learn. It's because I don't want to get written up or have some negative outcome occur to me. It has nothing to do with making me want to go to a meeting and receive whatever pointless dissemination of information is taking place, you know, that day, three times a week for no reason for an hour, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, it, it was, it was very disincentivizing for me to, to go to a meet, to want to go to a meeting. And there was nothing that made me want to go there other than just the threat of disciplinary action if I didn't go. And yeah. that's a terrible yeah. culture to be a part of. Yeah. There's, you know, again, I, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested to hear what everyone's thoughts are when we start moving into like, okay, well, what can you actually do about this? Because we started to touch on that a little bit. But one of the things I I actually had uh, a little bit of inspiration to do is sort of address the general masses on the subject of our individual roles in this problem. And the specific caricature that came up for me was the leader. And I saw this all the time. I've seen this all the time in my career. And I've been this guy at certain points, the leader that's just like, oh yeah, Ben, I'd really like to chat right now. I know, I know you've been waiting on me for a couple of days. Yeah, I know I haven't responded to your emails, but like, you know, I've just got meetings back to back all day. You know, like I don't really have time. I'm just, you know, I just, you know, I've just got so much to do. I've got meetings back to back and, or, or, or that, which is, I, I feel like more the martyrdom side or the other, mm-hmm. the other side is like the, 
um, self-important kind of like, look at how important I am. I have all, I have meetings. Hey, I don't have time for this guys. I have meetings that I have to be at. Okay. Uh, we, I don't know if you heard, we have a big senior leadership meeting in five minutes. So uh, can we wrap this up? Like, so there's and and, and I'm being a little bit cheeky here, but like, I actually think that this is really important because I, I want, if you've been either of those people, like you're, I, I just want to say like, and, and I'm speaking to myself too, you're not helping actually. Mm-hmm. You're like, you are not making things better. Um, you are, uh, now again, if you work at a company where all of those meetings are highly productive and clear outcomes are achieved and clean decisions are made that just enable the organization to succeed and you're playing a key role in that, then I'm not talking to you. But if you're <laughs> at literally everyone else, which I would guess is the 98%, uh, I, I would just really reflect on that. Um, and again, I, mm-hmm. I think the martyrdom one is the more common one where it's like, well, you know, I just have to do this. You know, I need to be in the meetings. It's like, no, you don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't have to be in the meetings. You choose to be in the meetings like that, that you need to really internalize that you choose to be in the meetings. And, and the reason it's important for all of us, I think, is because this is one of those problems that it's like the more we do, the more we participate in the bad behavior, the more it begets more and more bad behavior. And by the time we get to the bottom of the spiral, there's, it's like almost impossible to dig yourself out. Like, and by the way, you can, you can prove it, uh, that you don't need to be there because something that happens, people will go on vacation for a few days and the meetings happen and the company goes on and work gets done. And maybe they go on vacation for a couple weeks and things still happen. And yes, there's people that miss them or wish that they were there to provide their unique perspective, context, expertise, whatever. But things actually keep happening. And there's this, what's always, and often it's very sad things that, you know, sort of spike this realization in, in me or in others, is that you'll have someone and it's like, I can't get time with you. I can't get time with you. I can't find, sorry, I'm, I'm in too many meetings. Like, like you were saying, I'm the martyrdom. Like, I, I'm in so many meetings. I'm in so many meetings. And then something like, really tough happens in their personal life and they're gone for a week. And those meetings that were absolutely critical that they attend all keep going. And the work that they were a part of and the teams they were leading, they all keep moving. In fact, if they stopped, that would indicate like some serious problems, I think. Um, But almost every time I see it, everything keeps moving. And there is actually this idea that um, even in the martyrdom, that that is... I sorry, I'm too important for this meeting for to miss it. Like I have to be there. Um, and and the reality is it's often not true. Now I get it. Maybe you're running the meeting and if you're not there, uh, like the meeting won't happen. You know what? Sometimes that's okay too. Um, and so yeah, so so I, I I just wanted to kick that out there. Every time I've seen that happen, the organization survives, the team survives, the leader survives and comes back in a few days or a week and drops back in and has to get caught up and then is okay. Um, But I I like, I want that to segue into something you were just kind of touching on. Where does this come from? Where does the meeting, like, because we called it the meeting death spiral. And there's this idea that once it starts, it sort of, you just sort of spiral down if you don't check it. And we haven't talked as much about like, why do the meetings beget more meetings? And I have some ideas there, but Aaron, I know you you put some some thought into this and you were just referencing some stuff. So I want to kick it over to you instead. Well, I mean, the obvious, the obvious one is that <clears throat> back to that scenario where 
uh, I need Chris to help me make a decision or to provide some feedback on something. If he's in meetings all the time, then the only way I can get a hold of him is to schedule a meeting with him. So that that's the most obvious form of this is that uh, the more people get desperate to get in contact with key figures that they need to handle day-to-day problems, the more meetings that they schedule. And then the more meetings that they schedule, the less available those people are, or all people are, which then necessitates even more meetings and the cycle goes on. Uh, so that's that's the most <clears throat> kind of prevalent one I've seen. Um, I have seen also uh, a sort of a culture of self-aggrandizing leadership, which sounds really bad, but it's, it's a total normal place to go where it's like, back to your point, Ben, I see a decision being made that I'm not present for, and I immediately feel insecure. So the reaction of leadership on the whole to that problem is to make sure that all the leaders are in the room all the time. Riot Mm actually, Riot actually struggled a lot with this because Riot, Riot is, I think a company that historically is just amazing at making decisions. But as the company expanded, uh, it was a constant struggle about consensus or alignment, right? Like in knowing the, di- mm-hmm. in knowing the difference between the two. And as there were more leaders involved in more things and, and, and the, the natural order was that more groups needed to collaborate more often. Like there weren't as many islands, uh, what would happen is like everyone felt like they needed to be part of the decision. So then it's like you just get more and bigger meetings all the time. And and because nobody's willing to just take their hands off something and just step back and say, you know what, I don't need to voice my opinion on this. Like I trust these people to figure it out. Um, oh man, this is this is hitting on something for me too. It's funny how much I think politeness and not wanting to offend plays in mm-hmm. because I've had, I've been the the leader, like the leader of the leaders of a group. And um, I've sort of asked the question, oh, hey, who should be in this? And people don't give me an answer based on like who should be in this conversation or this meeting or whatever. They don't give me an answer based on the outcome. They give me an answer based on, well, here's everybody's roles. And so they're like, well, this person leads this discipline or this person is in charge of this or this person is in. And, and so these people should all be in. And Originally, I would just accept that and be like, okay, cool, let's pull those people in. But then we'd have a bunch of people that were felt really good about being included in this critical leadership meeting that the, about whether the team was going to go, um, but actually weren't adding much and often didn't necessarily even have the context to meaningfully contribute. And so we spent a decent part of the meeting just explaining to somebody who isn't providing a ton of value to the meeting what the value we're trying to get out of the meeting is. And I started getting to the point where people would say, hey, you know, like even who makes up this leadership team that's going to meet once a week to figure out this thing, I would, they say like, well, these people should be in it because they have a lead in their title or something like that. They have lead in their role. And I'd be like, no, um, I, I want to actually keep this as small as possible. And, you know, I'm not saying their role isn't important. Um, but it's actually more important that we have a smaller group that can more rapidly reach the decision and if, if it turns out we're wrong a lot or we really end up needing that feedback, we'll add them in later. Um, but like, I don't, I don't think I need them in this. I don't think I need them to, to reach this outcome. And I'll talk with them about it and I'll say, hey, you know, we're having this meeting and, and I invited these people. And um, I think it's better if uh, 
like you're not in it with Dave. And I've had people be very offended actually and be kind of upset um, that like, well, but I mean, is my discipline not important enough? And it's like, well, that's not actually the point. That's not, it's, it's that we're trying to reach an outcome. It has nothing to do with the importance of your discipline. Um, so, so I, I, that actually touches on another thing that I wanted to hit on around where does that even initial, um, I, I'm thinking of like nuclear fission, like the critical mass come from that starts the, the spiral that you described. The like, I can't get in touch with somebody. So I book a meeting to get in touch with them. And now we're all booking meetings over each other and rescheduling them and missing them and rescheduling them again and all these different things. Um, and for me, it's actually as organizations scale, uh, every person in it become is, is part of some number of identities, uh, work identities. Um, they're part of a discipline. Um, they're part of a team if those things are different. They're part of... Um, Maybe they're part of the, like, I, I do interviewing, so I'm, I, I work with a recruiting team. Uh, maybe they're part of the senior leadership group or a leadership group or multiple leadership groups. And when I actually stopped once, I remember doing this um, because I realized, like, holy crap, this is insane because all of these groups feel like they need to meet at some point. I stopped and I said, okay, I am right now simultaneously a member of dev management, a member of senior dev management, a member of the league leadership team, a member of the sustainability leadership team. And don't worry, you don't need to know what any of these terms are. I'm just going to like list off some of wh who I was and the identities that I had. Um, I'm a member of the production department. I'm a member of these two specific teams. I'm a member of the, the recruiting and the interviewing thing. I'm a member of the training group. And by the way, this isn't even getting into the fact that I also have other things that I choose to bring with me into work, like my hobbies, like, oh, I like also being part of the soccer group. And that takes like, you know, three minutes a week of me chatting and uh, slack with that group or whatever. And I end up stacking up all these identities and they scale as your organization scales. I'm not just a dev manager. I'm a dev manager in league and I'm a dev manager in sustainability and I'm a dev manager on this particular team. And each of these are unique identities. And a lot of times we feel like those identities should be meeting. And I see that constantly, like every identity you're a part of wants to get together because they're like, we're to your point um, at the beginning of this, we're part of the same tribe. We're part of the same group. And so as an organization scales, you naturally become part of more and more and more identities, especially as you become a leader um, and, and progress. And each one of those involves some expectation that this group does something together. Um, and I remember just going, whoa, I have way too many identities for me to actually be meeting with all of them every week or for there even to be an expectation that I should be doing that. Um, and I actually did an exercise where I sort of prioritized what are my most important identities and those are the things that I'm going to do. Um, those are the meetings I'm going to go to and make sure I, I create or have um, that I'm working with. But I, I actually think that this idea of like what your work identities are um, is one of the roots of where meetings sort of emerge from. Um, because we want all these people in this identity to have a similar picture of what it means to be a, an initiative delivery lead in League of Legends or something like that. I think, um, I think the other catalyst, honestly, is that the more an organization scales, the more clear trade-offs need to be made uh, in order to not overload the individual or even the group. So 
as an organization, when, when you only have 50 people in one room, like, like a small startup or something, it doesn't matter. You can have 50 identities and it doesn't really matter to a degree because there's only 50 people. Right. So the, 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 you, you might talk, you talk to one person and you cover three identities or everyone's in the same room. So even if you have four different subgroups, you only have to walk three feet to all of them. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a microcosm, but the problem is, is when you have 2000 people, now it's like that you have to make meaningful trade-offs and there are certain things you just couldn't do even if you wanted to. And I think that mm-hmm. actually meeting culture is a reaction in many cases to our unwillingness to make those trade-offs. Um, mm-hmm. when, yes. when, we, when we realize that it's like, and again, a, gr- a great example is like um, this conversation of like, it, for, for those in software, you might recognize this. It's like if I'm an artist but I'm also a member of like a cross-functional team. So I'm like, I'm an artist and I work with an engineer and I work with a designer and I work with a producer and together we like make a thing. But I also have my like other artists that I hang out with. There was this debate and it's a debate that happens at many companies now, uh, game companies specifically about whether the artists should sit together or whether the artists should sit with their teams. And that's a big, in a 2000 person organization, that's a big discussion with large consequences. Mm-hmm. But in a 50-person organization, there are almost no consequences to that decision at all. Because mm-hmm. there might be three artists and you could literally have everyone sit together on both ends. You could have all the artists sit together and all the teams sit together with their, or all the artists sit with their respective teams. It, it would be an easy problem right. to solve. So, so I think that's another thing that happens too is that we, the trade-offs become harsher and more difficult as we scale uh, by headcount and the organization scales as well. And that, um, and, it, and it, where we have to start saying, okay, where's the value that we want the most and what are we willing to give up for it? And again, I think, I think mm-hmm. meeting culture is a way for us to avoid dealing with that because we can just make sure everybody gets their meeting time. Everybody gets there a lot of time and we don't have to prioritize anything right. and we don't have to make trade-offs. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's something I say about work systems and meetings are a part of that is you want most of the people mostly aligned most of the time, right? And and meetings are a mechanism for that, but never pick, I want all of the people completely aligned all the time <laughs> because it's that, congratulations, if you're more than like one person, now you're going to spend infinite time um, do, trying to do that because it, it's in this constant state of like, and I think at Riot, this manifested. I remember when Riot, because I joined when it was a couple hundred. And then as it started becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, when it was a couple hundred, you almost knew what every other team was doing. Like there were some things that you weren't that worried about. Like there was a small legal, uh, like, I mean, maybe I think we had a lawyer. Um, and there was, so there was some stuff where I was like, ah, I'm not too worried about what's going on there. But overall, like the development teams and within the space of League of Legends, um, you kind of knew what every other team was working on. And he, and something felt good about knowing, even though it had no material impact on most of what you did. It just felt good to know what other people were doing. Um, but as it grew and grew and grew and grew, the cost of staying informed became higher, but was still desired. And so one of the things that I think we did almost without realizing it is we started trying to create ways to make sure everybody could stay informed without asking the question, what's the value of actually staying informed? Um, 
And, and that comes back to what we were talking about earlier, where there may not be that much value in staying informed, but we're still doing it because it felt good when I knew what everybody was doing. And when I felt like I could go and talk to a team and give them feedback and all this different stuff. And that becomes harder when you have more distinct groups operating in different spaces that aren't necessarily doing work related to each other or that related to each other. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are probably seeing this kind of thing around them or maybe are like directly involved in uh, or, or, or living horrendous lives at the bottom of the spiral. So what like I, I have been in situations where I've been like, okay, we need to fix this. And it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. It's in this the solutions end up being often not pretty and not graceful. Uh, what do you what do you guys think about ways to actually approach addressing this problem? So I'll I'll jump in on real real quick I have been a part of the spiral, Aaron, that you described of, I need to meet with this person. I can't get a hold of them, so I need to create a meeting to meet with this person. And then that meeting gets pushed, and then it gets pushed again. And then we bump each other into the hallway, and we have a two-sentence conversation and agree that we need to meet. And then, you know, it keeps going on and on and on. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, I uh, and I'm not suggesting this as a solution for everyone, but I finally, at one point, just kind of got fed up with that whole death march and just finally stood up and just just went to people's desks like i would just like walk down the hall walk upstairs go to a whole different area of the company there was one example in particular there was a lady and i who had been emailing each other back and forth i don't know probably literally 25 times over a really simple stupid thing and so she put a meeting on my calendar and i responded and then she had to push it and then i had to push and then I, you know, it the amount of time it took us to have this twenty-five email conversation and your rescheduling the meetings was, I mean, hours spent on this. I finally got up and just walked down the hall, walked upstairs, went to her desk and said, "Can we talk for two minutes?" And she stopped what she was yeah. doing and and we did. We talked for probably literally two and a half, three minutes. Worked out the issue. Smiles, you know, yay, pat on the back, and done. That was it. I mean, none of this stupid meeting culture. Like we just, we just, you know, broke through all that and just met in person, and it solved the problem. Now, I'm not advocating that as uh, an obvious solution for everyone, but in some cases, just having, just reaching out to the the person as a human, human to human, and having some human interaction where you're taking Google Calendar or Outlook out of the equation, it, it can go a long way towards solving some problems. Chris, I, I would and recommend that most of the time. That would be my, I would that, absolutely yeah, I love that. that. That's that. I love yeah. to hear that. That's to me, that's the most, that's like the first thing I think that people yeah. should go to. And it's unfortunately to your point. Yeah. It's often the last thing, thing we go to. Well, and, and it's because you can't actually find them at their desk because they're in meetings all the time. <laughs> and especially as you go, and, and I have seen, you know, it does seem like the higher up an organization you go hierarchically, the more you actually, I think, take on more and more identities and you are in more and more meetings as a result of that. I also think um, you're, like you're, you're doing, you're doing groups. less work too. So I think me- meetings yes. become more of a currency. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're sharing more information uh, and connecting more dots in, instead of making stuff. Um, I think that yeah. so meetings just, become a more obvious tool for that. Yeah, your job is alignment, mm-hmm. and meetings are a great way to have a conversation with people, um, especially a bunch of really busy people, and so that we can align on yeah. something. Um, so, 
I think there, there's two things. What you just said is, is phenomenal. And actually, that's something I would often encourage people to do. And I'd actually often see this manifest in a different way where someone would ask me, hey, could you schedule a meeting so that we could discuss with this other team, blah. And I, and I would, again, when I was a young producer, um, I would be like, okay. And then I would be showing up to a meeting where two people or four people would have a conversation. I'd be like, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> and my first iteration was, I'll schedule a meeting and not show up, right? And then I realized like, wait a minute, why don't you schedule the meeting? That was a good step too. And then eventually to the point where like, can you just go talk to them? Like they sit right over there. <laughs> you know, sometimes they're like in eyesight, <laughs> right? Like, and it's like, could you go? And, and I, I have actually walked someone over to someone else's desk before and just said, hey, this person wanted to talk with you about blah. And then I walk away and it's like, wait a minute. But, and, and there was, again, it was in a, in a meeting filled environment. It was almost like, I, is this okay? And it's like, yes, it's totally okay. So I think that what you described is perfect. Um, another thing I would ask before you even need a meeting is, can I make a decision and then broadcast that decision to the relevant people through some other medium, Slack, email or whatever, and basically say, look, unless I hear differently, this is what I'm going to do. And I love that phrase, unless I hear differently. You can engage with me. You can schedule a meeting with me if you need to. You can hit me back on Slack. You can email me. You can walk by my desk. Like, I'm here. But unless I hear differently, this is what I'm going to do. And a lot of times you'll find that nobody will say anything. And it's actually because your decision's fine. Um, or because no one actually cares. Um, and and either way, great. You can make your decision and proceed. Um because everybody shouldn't be caring about what everybody's doing all the time. We have a lot to do on our own. And again, I'm not, I don't take that to mean like we shouldn't be aware of what people around us are doing. We absolutely should to some degree, but not infinitely. Yeah. It can cause huge problems if we do it infinitely. One thing I would say, one thing I would suggest is if you are scheduling a meeting or you talk to anybody who's scheduling a meeting, one thing you can do, and again, this, this is a simple thing without going to war with the entire current meeting culture of your organization, is like who can you cut off of a of a meeting right. that you're about to schedule? So if you got ten people on the roster, really think, st take a step back and think like, okay, what do I want out of this, uh, and who doesn't need to be there? And if you remove three people from that meeting, and you can consistently remove, you know, twenty percent or fifteen percent or thirty percent of the roster of every meeting you schedule from here on out, that's a huge impact that you're having on the organization. And if you can get anybody else to do that too. Like if you can like check meetings that other people scheduled you in, look at the roster and be like, hey, I'm not sure these five people need to be there. And you get those five people out, you're doing those five people a huge service and everyone else that's gonna be there. Um, it, again, it's a service across the board. If it's better, if those people don't that don't need to be at the meeting don't have to go, it's uh, those people are then gonna be more available for anybody who needs them when they're in the pit or on the ground during that day. Um, similarly, anybody who's left in that meeting is going to have an easier time making decisions and focusing because there's going to be less people and less noise. So it's just, yeah, see if you if you can take active steps to minimize the amount of people that are on any meeting you schedule. That's huge. I want to I want to jump to another one, another really cool idea um, that I think we have some cool, a good example around. Um, but the, the core idea is you need to be prioritizing your own time because if you don't, other people will. Um, and I don't remember where I heard that, but I think it's a really important principle around meetings. 
If you're not in charge of your calendar, then everybody else is. It's not like nobody's in charge of it. It's anybody who wants it is in charge of it. Um, and so being deliberate about what you actually allow onto it and uh, where you're going to invest your time and effort matters a lot. And I mentioned earlier that a lot of the senior leaders that I interacted with at multiple organizations actually were just always in back-to-back -back meetings and you'd get into that like, I can't get on your calendar for three weeks type thing. And Or if it was really important, then they'd brush someone else off or whatever. And so you were trying to like, I remember just, you're trying to like justify why a senior leader should not have a meeting that they had already scheduled so they could talk to you. And so if you knew them well, or if you were like a really good salesperson, you were more likely to get time with them. It was like all sorts of, all sorts of weird incentives pop up. But there was one leader at, um, at Riot, his name is Joe Tung, and he had a different approach. And I, and I, I massively respect him for doing this in a culture that was fairly obsessed uh, with making sure everybody's in all the important meetings all the time. Um, he, every quarter, would go through and prune every recurring meeting he was in. He would just ask a question, do I still need to be in this? Could I not be in this? Could someone else be going instead of me? And he was he's the head of like, I think he's the head of League Inc. Probably still is. But he was the head of you know, an initiative before that and after that, like the head of League. Like these are big organizations. These are hundreds of people. And I remember looking at his calendar and finding it clear, like not completely clear, obviously, but relatively clear. And another thing, when I worked on League, I would often see Joe, the leader of League, at his desk. Yeah. And if I needed <clears throat> to, I could walk over to him and I could be like, hey, I had something pop up. And he'd, give, he'd turn and he'd give you like five or ten minutes um, and, and work through something. I asked him when I first became an initiative delivery lead because I wanted to feel important if he would do a one-on-one -on -one with me, right? I wanted to feel like, oh, I have a one-on-one -on -one with a leader of League of Legends, right? And he said, no, I have too many one-on-ones that I already have to do all the people that report to me and everybody else that's on the League level leadership team. And that pretty much caps me out. And I learned something from that. And it actually, for me, it was a lesson that I took away, which is I don't want to have too many one-on-ones on my calendar. Um, but he had that limit, and then he also did that quarterly purge. And what it meant was he had space to think. He had space to be at his desk and get work done. And, I mean, he was a hardworking individual, like massive respect for him. Um, but this in particular just jumped out to me because what it also meant was that as a leader, a senior leader, um, I would argue one of the most senior leaders at Riot, he was also present with the organization he was running. He wasn't always gone. And there were many, I've seen many examples um, of, of the opposite happening. And that's really tough for like, if, if you're a leader and you're not present for your team, like you're just almost a ghost, like they don't even know you anymore. Like you're never at your desk and like, it just, your, your impact just really starts to wane. And it's like, you could be shielding them from a bunch of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, if they don't know you, uh, it, it's, it's a dangerous thing. I mean, I've, I've been in this situation before and like, I'm not proud of it. Uh, it's uh, it's a, mis it's a mistake I've made in the past, but it's like when I'm, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and during most of my career, I made damn sure that I was present and available for, for my people. Su super important. Yeah. So, so Aaron, I want to kick a question to you. We've talked about like, unless I hear differently, uh, we've talked about taking control of your calendar, walking over to someone's desk rather than scheduling a meeting. Let's say you are inside of a culture where 
you're really supposed to go to those meetings or, or whatever. There's recurring meetings and everybody just shows up and you're realizing that like you're not adding much value um, in those meetings. Like, what do you do? Um, so you're, you're saying like as an individual, how do I manage my own time yeah. more effectively? Yeah. Okay. I, I think that there are things we can do organizationally and as the people creating the meetings to, to make this problem better. But I actually think most of the best change here will come from individuals taking. I mean, that's stance. a tough. Okay. So that's a, that's a tough question <clears throat> because there mm -hmm. are a lot, I, I've been at multiple different kinds of organizations. I've been at some organizations where I could sit down with the meeting organizers and be like, Hey, look, like this isn't a good use of my time this other person could come instead, blah, 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 whatever. And I've also been at organizations where they're like, no, you are a program manager. You will come to the program manager staff meeting. Right. And that's a difficult situation to be in when the, when the meeting culture is like with an iron hammer mandated mm -hmm. and enforced. And that's actually, I think, to be honest, in the corporate world, far more common than the idea of just like, well, I've been irresponsible with my time and chosen to go to too many meetings. I should sit down and have a conversation with my bosses and see if I can get out of them. Like that's, most people don't live in that world. Most people live in a world where you show up to the meetings or you get disciplined. And um, honestly, that's a tough situation. And uh, I would say I would still start with a, a, a negotiative approach. I would still start with like trying to have a conversation and making an appeal to outcomes and logic and, and, and value. Um, but if, if your bosses don't understand that I've been in that situation, I have skirted the system before, and I've just weighed the value that I'm offering the organization against the cost, uh, the, 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 uh, the credit, not credibility, but the, um, the frustration burn that I'm getting from the, whoever scheduled meetings that I didn't show up to. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't show up to them, they knew why. Like I had sat them down and discussed that with them. Um, and I just had to, again, bank on the fact that I was adding value. So, and I think a lot of people would be shocked if you are adding value and you are focusing and you are getting stuff done, especially in an environment where there's a toxic meeting culture and everyone spends all the time at meetings. If you're out there crushing shit and getting things done instead of being in those meetings, they might get upset at you for not showing up, but like their ability to like fire you or get rid of you is probably a lot less than you might think because, because mm. you're, 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 you're valuable. You're in fact, you're probably a lot more valuable than the average person. Um, so again, I'm not recommending just like, you know, <laughs> screw the man and just like ride your skateboard into the office and <laughs> do what, you know, <laughs> cause a bunch of problems. But I am saying like, I mean, I've been there. I've, I've literally done that where I'm just like, no, I'm not going to these meetings anymore. I, I, I trust that I know how to do my job and I trust that I know how to like manage my own schedule and determine what's valuable and what's not. And if I'm getting a bunch of pressure from my leaders to do the wrong thing, then I'm going to do the right thing. And if I get fired for doing the right thing, then I'd rather work at another company anyway. That's, that's my philosophy. I, I, was in the military and there, there is like literally, uh, yeah, maybe not literally, certainly very strong figuratively the iron hammer mm -hmm. uh, of authority that will come down uh, if you don't show up to the meetings. And I'm thinking back to how I navigated that at the time because there are a decent amount, like the military is an organization, there's a decent amount of meetings that aren't particularly effective or useful, but that you're supposed to go to. And there's very little ability to like have an appeal 
because if all the S4s are in the brigade, and I'm not going to explain those terms, but you know, it's, it's a role, um, are supposed to be in this meeting and you don't show up, well, in the military, they're likely to actually take attendance and then follow up with whoever your commanding officer is about like, hey, your S4 was not at this meeting and they were supposed to be. So now you're in trouble and get them in trouble for it. And the way I actually navigated around that with that level of sort of adherence to process, almost trumping all concept of value um, in some of those meetings, uh, if I could talk to whoever was running the meeting beforehand, and this was easier and better if I had a pre-existing relationship with them and they knew I was, I was you know, doing work, um, I wasn't wasting everybody's time all day every day, um, then I could talk to them and say, hey, there's some other things I would like to prioritize instead of this meeting. Is it okay if I'm not there? And one of the things that was most about that made that more effective was when I did actually invest a little bit of time developing a relationship with them or letting them know kind of how I thought and what I was focusing on because it let, made, made them much more comfortable with the idea of not making sure I was at the briefing if I knew what was going on and I knew what was going on, what was going to be presented in the briefing. And if you just sent me or if I just got like the, the cliff notes version, I'd be fine. Um, it didn't always work. There were still a decent amount of meetings that, you know, in the military, you showed up your 15 minutes early to as many of them as you could um, and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, when you, when you, when I could, and if you can, having a relationship with some of those individuals, which does take some time to develop, um, could pay huge dividends if it means that you can actually shoot them a message and say, hey, I've got some other things going on. Um, you know, here's my update. All of my units are aligned there. We've, you know, here's the report that we've generated that I think that's what you're looking for. And they're like, okay, yep, you're good to go. Don't worry about it. Um, and so that's something I, I would, I would say, because yeah, there are environments where it's, it's not easy to just go in and say like, Hey, you know what? I don't think this meeting is valuable. Like you could get in trouble for that in some places. Um, now if you wouldn't get in trouble for doing that, I would say do that. Um, and if you wouldn't get in trouble for doing that while also not showing up, I would say do that. Um, but again, everybody's going to need to evaluate that inside of their own culture. When I've asked and I've said very specifically, hey, I have some other really important time-sensitive things I need to get done, I have rarely, even in the military, run into somebody who has said, it doesn't matter. You still need to be here at this time because if you're not managing your time well, that's your problem. And like, you know, and I'm not saying that's never happened. It has, but it's very rare. Most of the time people are willing to go, oh, okay. You, and I think actually a lot of times people respect the fact that you're actually prioritizing your life and your work. Um, so, so that would be something. Now, if I jump out of the individual frame and up to, you know, Aaron, um, you know, you and I have both worked at scale, sort of setting up work systems and meetings. And what is it, how do you attack this as somebody who's sort of looking at it from that high level so it doesn't become the, the meeting spiral? Like how do, what, what, what do you encourage in the organizations that you've led so that it doesn't become a mess I mean, the, of, of death spiral? It, there's, again, it depends on the scenario, right? Uh, the two scenario, the two backdrops that pop into my head, and I've been in both. Our backdrop number one is like, this is a major problem and we have very, very explicit goals and need to deliver more quickly. And the meeting culture is 
is like poisoned in our bloodstream and our ability to get this stuff done. This was like what it, this was this is what it was like working on the lead client update project at Riot where we had, you know, 150 200 people working on that and we actually just dropped a nuke on the entire meeting infrastructure and we said we gathered everyone together and we said this is now like we're mandating no meetings actually. Like the only there's here are the types of meetings that are okay, here are the types of meetings that are not okay and we're going to do it for 2 weeks. And we, after two weeks, we kind of re reset the clock and we said, okay, how'd this go? And then we checked in with the team and we're like, okay, we're going to do it for another two weeks. Then we're going to do it for another two weeks. And, um, and it actually ended up being a good way to open the system up very quickly and get the blood flowing again um, at a time where we didn't really have the luxury of like renegotiating the culture and like educating people and stuff like that. And we did run into some snapback from the organization and from some of the teams actually, uh, who were very invested in some of those meetings that they were going to outside of the teamwork that they were doing. But ultimately I think everybody ended up being relieved and thankful and certainly uh, our ability to deliver dramatically increased as a result of that. Um, the other scenario is one, again, where you're like looking to more hit the culture, like really kind of change things in a more healthy, um, incremental way. Um, and that one of the things I will do is I would start with my leadership team and I would say, this is what good meetings look like. They're outcome focused, you know, like one, like I remember working with a junior producer, uh, that reported to me a couple of years back and, uh, uh, she was setting up large meetings and she was a very like talented facilitator actually. But like one of the things that would happen is, um, she was, uh, not necessarily comfortable with being very aggressive, focusing people from going off the rails when it came to discussion during meetings. And most of the time it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but when she would have a 15, 20 or 30 person meeting, it became a major problem for her. And so I, I basically coached her on, uh, taking more control and using the agenda as the container, uh, and, and stopping conversation that wasn't related to the agenda. Um, and also being very much more deliberate about the facilitation and the design of the meeting when you knew you were going to have 30 people in there. Um, like basically going into a room where you have 30 people in a, in a room, uh, is unprepared is, is not acceptable basically. So like there, there's these kinds of things where it's like, just again, focus on outcome, make sure that if you have a large group of people, uh, in the meeting that, that you do, that you do pre-planning for that meeting, um, to make best use of everyone's time. Um, again, make sure to look for opportunities to cut. Um, I would, uh, also just make sure, again, we talk a lot about incentive to make sure you're incentivizing the right behaviors and disincentivizing the wrong behaviors, like a way to incentivize good behavior, um, uh, would be to, um, if you see a meeting that's got where somebody's getting up in front and writing down where somebody on the team writes down the goals on the board, um, this, these are the goals of the meeting, just celebrate that. Another, conversely, if you see a meeting where you walk in and it's just meandering conversation for 45 minutes, um, you cut that meeting. Like as the senior leader in that room, you say, nope, this isn't happening. Everybody go, like 
this meeting is over and you take the person who scheduled it and you coach them on how to do a better job next time. Um, but that's that we, you don't just sit there and let that play itself out for 45 minutes and waste everyone's time. That's not okay. So, so it's a lot of it is like, again, incentive and, 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 and guidance and coaching and, um, and providing clear direction about what good looks like for the team. Yeah. When, when you talk about incentive and, and there's a, I think there's a, just this huge cultural aspect. I was thinking about the idea of if we trusted, cause again, if I, if I view meetings as around alignment and helping and helping us make decisions, but that they often become twisted into being about just like passing information around. So we all feel good, helping people feel good, not knowing everything and helping people feel comfortable with like, Oh, I didn't know something. And, and, there was a negative outcome from that. And that's okay. It's not, that doesn't mean we should always try to make sure everybody knows everything. Um, and in fact, we'll work better if we focus on the things that we need to know in order to do what we need to do and, and less on everything else. Um, I think, I think there's that. And then there's also like an idea of, of trust. I think a lot of times people schedule meetings because they want to know what everybody's doing. Like, hey, I want to know what's going on. As a leader, I want to know, are you working on the right things? And there's not there, there's value in that. But taken too far, you end up spending all your time trying to make sure everybody's doing the right thing. And in so doing, you actually sometimes prevent them from having the time to do it. Um, and especially, again, when that ladders up an organization. And we'll probably talk about that more when we get into like the idea of reporting. Um, but I, I think, yeah, it's how do you how do you encourage it? And I would say another thing to do is as a leader, model it. Um, like you were just saying that as examples of, of, you know, calling stuff out in the room. And maybe like I, I think the way I would handle a situation like that where I saw a meeting and I was like, I don't know what's going on is I would just ask a question. What are we trying to do here? Um, and see if there's any actual answer to that and, and maybe follow that down a couple mm -hmm. more sort of Socratic method style questions. And if they're like, we, we don't know. It's like, well, maybe we should figure that out before we have yeah. this meeting. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and and another one is do the thing where you go and talk to someone at their desk or, you know, there's a meeting on your books and you cancel it or someone asks you to have a one-on-one -on -one and you say no. Like I, again, Joe Tung changed how I related to one-on-ones when he, when I saw how he related to one-on-ones, I saw him take a stand and say, I'm not going to have more than X number or, or whatever, because I don't want to be overwhelmed. And it actually made me go, oh, wait, I have just assumed that if someone asks me for a one-on-one -on -one, or if I want a one-on-one, -on -one, that the answer is always yes. Now that, again, that's not every culture, but that was a thing at Riot. It was a, there were a lot of one-on-ones that happened and it actually changed my focus. Which one-on-ones matter? Which one-on-ones are important for, for me and those other people to make sure that the right work is getting done? Um, I had somebody who um, was reporting to me and I was working with them on the idea of you don't necessarily need to have a one-on-one -on -one with everybody in your team every two weeks. But that was how they'd sort of started off on smaller teams. Well, they were on a 30-person team. And if you do a 30-person half-hour sync... Uh, with, or you do 30, 30 minute, half hour sync with 30 people every two weeks, that's 15 hours every two weeks you're spending in one-on-ones. Like that is an insane amount of time. That's a full day basically lost from each of those weeks. Um, and not to count all the times that they get rescheduled and all the other meetings that might come up. And it was all under this, like, well, I need to know what's going on in the team. And I'm like, yeah, there are other ways to do that. 
Um, and actually, when you start scaling up, you like you have to figure out how to scale a lot of the techniques you use to um, help the team succeed. So, yeah, I think I think it's it's model it um, and be okay sometimes being a, a, a little bit offended or being a little bit offensive uh, if you can inside of your organization uh, to to drive positive change around this. So to summarize. Understanding meeting culture and how it pervades in organizations, where it comes from, what motivates us to behave in certain ways, and how we approach meetings and communication and these other things. Hopefully, some things uh, that you can do about it and uh, ways to hold yourself accountable for a better meeting culture and, and the role that you play. This has been the Valarin Perspective. Send us your thoughts at perspectives at valarinconsulting.com. Valarin, V-A-L-A-R-I-N, consulting.com. Thanks for listening.